this. Now I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him, everyone know who the him was? Jesus was called faithful and true. Can you say that? Faithful and true. And in righteousness, he judges and makes wars. And it says, his eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, which is the symbolicness of his faithfulness. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in his own blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, followed him on white horses. Philippians 4 and 1, a familiar verse that most of you know before we pray over the word. For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a work in you will complete it. Someone say complete it. Don't you love it that when God begins a work, he finishes a work. Amen. It's nothing like to start something and not finish it. Do I have anybody besides me that's ever started something and not finished it? But he will finish it and perfect it until that day. This is what it says in the Message Bible. I love this. There has never been the slightest doubt that the God who started this great work in you will keep it. He started it and he will keep it. Come on, somebody. And bring you, someone say me, to a flourishing finish on the very day he appears. He is called the faithful and true, and he brings us to a flourishing finish. I don't know if I'm going to preach or speak or teach. I never know how that's going to come apart or come together or come to you. But uh, however it is, I pray that you would just invest back in me, and that will help me. And I'll be gone, and someone else will be here next Sunday, and uh, they won't make you work so hard. I have a tendency to make you work for it. But will you say amen? Let me pray. Father, we welcome your Holy Spirit. You're already here, sir. I just pray in my weakness you'd be strong. You'd bring forth to the faithful what they need, those listening by podcast. More than that, those in this room who are the faithful ones, speak to us, encourage us. We welcome you, Holy Spirit. I welcome you, welcome you, and humble myself before you. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. Um, Here's a trivia question for you. Which took the longest to complete? Here's your answers, O spiritual Jeopardy ones. Number one, the construction of the Pentagon. Number two, the carving of Mount Rushmore. I think that would take a long time. The digging of the Panama Canal. The building of the Empire State Building. Or carving and assembling of the Statue of Liberty. Well, I'm not going to give you time to guess, but I will tell you which one took the longest. It was the Panama Canal. Someone say the Panama Canal. Mainly because it was a superhuman task. Just like the task you and I are facing today, whether that's taking care of toddlers. Can I get an amen from a mama of a toddler? Whether that's working a job, it's a superhuman task. It was stopped several times due to floods. It was stopped several times due to mud. Unexpected cost. The total bill was $375 million in 1914. Just translate that to what that would be today. 20,000 French workers gave their life. They died trying to build it. 6,000 Americans died on the job. The moral of the story, and here you go. Expect delays when you cut a 50-mile-long canal to connect two oceans. All right now, come on. I'm not trying to connect two oceans, but I am trying to 
use what God gave me in this world like you are to make a difference, amen, to see God work. I believe it was Henry Blackaby in his book, Experiencing God, said, Find where God is working and then just get involved. I found God is working everywhere. He's working at Chick-fil-A when I drive through. Come on, somebody. I find that God works everywhere. I find that God is not limited to theology, seminary, church houses, but God is among the hurting and sometimes cutting a mile long through the hurting. Our children, our responsibility can be huge. Everyone say huge. And you know who that's a shout out to. But we can't accomplish anything without supernatural faith. But guess what? God gives us a promise. He says, I am with you and I will bring you to a flourishing finish. And in case you're wondering, the Pentagon took 16 months. Mount Rushmore took 14 years. Empire State Building took a year and 14 months. And the the Liberty um, Statue of Liberty took 10 years. Look at your neighbor and say, you're looking better than I thought you were. Tell yourself. This morning we're talking about a faithful God. A God who says to us a word for the faithful. I am with you. In fact, in the book of, I believe it is, let me quote it properly, Haggai 2 and 4. But now take courage. Everyone just do this. Take courage and work for I am with you, says the Lord. I love that God gives courage to his people. I love that all through the Bible he says, take it, take it. Take the courage, take it. It's right here. Take courage for whatever this week you face. Take courage for whatever the responsibility, angel. Take courage for whatever God has called you to do or called you to be. Take courage. Someone say, I will take it. Thank you. He is not only the faithful one, but Alden, he has been genuinely tested and genuinely trusted. Right now, if people begin to come in with number two pencils and begin to pass them out with some kind of test, Isaiah, that looked like a ACT or the standardized test, how many's heart would start beating? Because <laughs> you know you're fixing to be tested. I love to be tested on that, which I know. I mean, when if I get into a random party where they're doing Bible Jeopardy, Bam, I got that. Um, I can just beat almost anybody because I've spent my life studying that. I don't know mechanics. If I was in mechanics against Gene, he's going to win. I would not know what anything is but that there's a cap on that gas thing. Come on, somebody. But he's going to win in that. There's things that we have proven ourselves in, and if we were to be tested on it, Chris, we would show that we can be trusted, angel, by what we have been tested on. That's why today we can say that God is completely and altogether faithful, that his promise still stands. Someone say, great is your faithfulness. I love that his promise still stands. I love that the supernatural thoughtfulness of God, one author said, will convince you that God is exponentially greater than you thought, more merciful than you thought. He's more good than you thought. He's more kind than you thought. He's more faithful than you thought. So even if you are worse than you thought, Leela, if you are with him and trusting him, he will make a way where there is no way. Someone just put your hands together and give God a clap. I love that faith is not believing in my own unshakable being, my own unshakable character, my own, Devin, unshakable faith. Faith is believing in an unshakable God, Austin, when everything in me trembles and quakes. Psalms 27 and 14 in the Message Bible, Jared says, stay with God, take heart, don't quit. 
I'll say it again. Stay with God. Someone say, stay with God. In the book of Jeremiah, there are some huge mountains that have to be moved. In every book of the Bible, in fact, there are huge mountains. In fact, in every part of the Bible, there's an enemy gene, and there's God, and there's a people. There's a literary term that I have found that is quite interesting. If anyone ever taught me in English lit in college, I'm sure I was visiting with my neighbor and missed it. But it's called peripety. Someone say peripety. Peripety is a sudden reversal of events. Everyone say a sudden. Everyone say a sudden. Reversal of events. It means a dramatic, everyone say dramatic, turnaround. And what I often find is that you and I were given mountains so we could show other people how to move those mountains. You see, um, social media is powerful. It is not church, and it grieves me every Sunday, people that never attend church, but they're connecting with everybody and have gifts and talents. But I'm a pastor. That's aggravating to me because I'm like, Use Facebook, but you better get yourself among some living people. Come on, somebody. And fellowship and go to church with some living people and make a difference. But in every part of our life, whether it is Facebook, whether it is we come to church, whether we work, we have mountains. And the way we move those shows other people that they can be moved. When we have testimonies and people give their story of how they overcome addiction, Tara Lemons, whose father is a federal um, agent in the state of Tennessee, shared her story Wednesday night about addiction, about extreme health crises. And there was a peripety in the story, meaning a sudden moment when everything turned around. For her, it's when everything was built up against her and God came in. Someone say sudden turnaround. And when people share their stories, whatever it is, I overcame that. Whether it's cancer, whether it's an injury, whether it's a financial bankruptcy, whether it's losing it all and getting back up. That is the greatest message you will ever preach to someone. You don't have to say to them, I had a peripety. And they're going to say, you had a what? What is that? Is that a new mint? Is that a new taco? No, I had a peripety. I had a moment when there was a sudden reversal in my life. And I have found in peripeties, I've been on both sides of those. We all have. A peripety is when a situation gets to a turning point looks ucky, I would say, looks murky, looks miry, looks impossible, looks unsolvable, looks irreversible, or looks all these things. And all of a sudden, someone say God steps in, then someone steps up, and then the enemy steps off, and then the person steps through. There's your message right there. You see a situation where God steps in in a moment when it's like when Esther, when everything was against her and Haman had built his gallows. God stepped in. Mordecai stepped up. Haman stepped off. And uh, all of a sudden Israel stepped through the crisis. It looked like they wouldn't go through. There's people in your lives this week and in the upcoming weeks that need you to step up. God will step in, but he needs you to step up. God could use angels, and he often does. And in a moment, I'm going to tell you a miraculous story of Jesus manifesting to someone. 
But I want to tell you that often I found God uses ordinary people like you and me. Because some people do not want to see an angel with 17 wings with a sword coming out of their mouth. Come on. But if they see a Chris Vernon, they'll accept him. Come, come on, somebody. They see a human with flesh and blood. They see someone who speaks their language, who talks. We talked about um, David's wife who is in China. And how wonderful it is when someone speaks your language. There's people around that need whatever God gave you. Think of the things that people picked up when they stepped up and to do what God had called them to do. Use whatever that was. David used a stone. Yours may be the gift of encouragement. Encouragement means to give someone else courage. If you think encouragement is a little thing, it is not. It means to give someone else courage about what they're going through. It means when I encourage you, I am loaning you courage to get through what you could normally get through. Anybody, come on, you thankful for any encouragement that anybody's given you, just give God a hand clap of praise. Come on. Think about the American Revolution, what our forefathers did with their pens in constitutional halls. Think about what the warriors did on the battleground to fight for the freedom of America. They stepped up. God stepped in. They stepped up. Britain stepped off. And America stepped through to her destiny. The Constitution did the same thing. Abraham Lincoln did it in the Emancipation Proclamation. He stepped up, but he was motivated by a little gal. I love to tell her story, Leah. She was a mama, Harriet Beecher Stowe, who went to church on a Sunday morning, got caught up angel in worship. We don't know that there was 10,000 there. We don't know if there was 10 there. We don't know if there was five there. There could have only been three there, Austin. All we know is the Spirit of the Lord moved on a little African-American lady named Harriet Beecher Stowe. She went into a trance. This is a true story. She went into a trance, and in the trance, she saw a book from beginning to end called, do you remember the title? Uncle Tom's Cabin. She went home and wrote what she saw in the trance. Didn't think anyone would ever read it. It started being duplicated by mass. I, I wish I'd brought those stats with me. I've used those before. Don't have them today, but it is shocking how the book kept going to the degree that when President Abraham Lincoln shook her hand one day, he said, hello, young lady. I understand you're the one who started and finished the Civil War with her pen. I wonder what gift God has given you and I that he might use as faithful children of the Most High God in the most unlikely place to do the will of God. Come on, somebody. There's a, and this is not a political statement, but there's a lot of people that don't understand how someone like Melania Trump could be first lady. I get amused because of her past, uh, because of many other things. But I watch her consistently respond to God. And Franklin Graham, who is close to people I'm close to, I don't know Brother Franklin. I've never met him. He wouldn't know me from Adam's house cat, his grandmama would say. You ever heard that one? He wouldn't know me at all. But I'm going to tell you, people that know him say Franklin says this. This woman has a sensitivity to the Spirit of God. I'm sure in her days of a model, I'll leave it right there. I'm sure in her days of an immigrant, I'll leave it right there. I'm sure she never imagined that God would tap her. And I see the haters and I see the wax cold ones on internet going after her like demonic trolls. And I'm just thinking, evidently, you don't know anything about my God. Because from Genesis to Revelation, he consistently 
consistently taps on the shoulder the most unlikely sons and daughters to step up that others may step through and step into their destiny. Come on, somebody. And I could go on and on. I wonder this morning, Angel, what gift you have. Will you use it in a faithful way? There is an interesting book that just came across my studies called Fame Junkies. Now, I've got lots of stats on this. You're blessed I didn't bring them. But here's just one point. And that is in this book about fame junkies. This is interesting. In the Urban Dictionary, and you might have one of these issues, there's something called Berg and Korf. You may be diagnosed by a psychologist at having one of these diagnoses. Let me go a little bit farther before I explain it to you. You see, you know red carpet, when they first started using those in Grammys, the man who they, you call and he cuts you red carpet for whatever the event. He does the Grammys, he does MTV, he does you know all those Hollywood wannabe, all those things, he does it. He found that when he was putting the red carpet out, people would come and try to steal just a little bit, of Chris, of the string of the carpet, the fray, and run with it like crazy little idiots. Come on, somebody. Because Jennifer Aniston might put her little golden heel on it. Come on, somebody. Because, and you just put your star in there, because they were such fame junkies that they would have this condition called Berg. Basting in reflected glory, meaning this. If you get diagnosed with this, this is what you have. Meaning you are so obsessed with what Brad Pitt is doing, you don't even care about your neighbor. Come on now. You are so obsessed with what Hollywood is doing that you want to get near them because you think if you can bask in their glory, that some of it's going to rub off of you. It's going to reflect off of you, and it's going to take you from being little Rhonda who was born in Illinois and lived in Tennessee and California it's going to take the little prairie girl and make her somebody because she got just close enough to touch Brad Pitt's garment. That's called burging. Come on, say burging. In fact, this became such a thing. This man has got to be an entrepreneur. He decided he would make little red squares and sell them for $500 a piece. Come on, somebody. Now, I wish I'd had that idea. And he would sell these little squares of red carpet to people. Yes, you too, Devin, can contact him and say, I'll take for $500, sir, a little piece of carpet that Angelie Jolie has walked upon. And I'm going to put it in a little shrine. And I'm going to touch it and thinking, I know Angelie Jolie. Someone told me when they convinced me to get on Twitter. You can even follow the stars. You can see what I'm just, I can't, no names are coming to me right now. You can tell I'm not really in the flow. Um, I'd come up with Jack Bauer and that's not a real person. But anyway, you can, you can all of the sudden, you can see what they're eating for breakfast and then you can follow them on Instagram and people say, so-and-so's following me on Instagram. I said, no, they're not following you on Instagram. Either their people are following you on Instagram or uh, that's a fake account. You know what I'm saying? But he said, you can do all this. And I'm thinking, why do I want to know what Brad Pitt eats for breakfast? I got a life and people around me that are so much more important than Brad Pitt. Come on, somebody. That's fame junkies. But then the other side of the coin is corfing. Everyone say corfing. Now, if you get diagnosed with corfing, I'm just going to save you a psychiatrist office right now. Appointment. It means to cut off reflective reflected failure which means this it means that I just love you and I'm crazy about you Carmen until you lose your fame and then I'm going to cut myself off from you because I don't want to be your failure to reflect off of me I don't want your down days to reflect on me 
I don't want when you don't look so good to reflect on me, which is the book, uh, you might be a fan of Jesus and not a follower because fans hang with you when things are going well. Followers hang with you, Jesus, when things aren't going well. Come on, somebody. I always use this illustration, but I want to say it. It's like Mel Gibson. Mel Gibson, when he did The Passion of Christ, the body of Christ was taking, you know, selfies. I'm, I'm speaking in metaphors. Selfies with Mel Gibson. You know, I know Mel Gibson. They're doing everything with Mel Gibson. If I can just get me. That's why Kim Kardashian has such a big following until things dip down. But, you know, the crazies stay with her. And I'm not speaking against her. I'm just saying Jesus Christ and his people are the coolest ones in the universe. Can you say amen? They are indeed the faithful coolest ones. But Mel Gibson got drunk one night and he cussed like a sailor. And unfortunately, Austin... He cussed against the Jews, which was unfortunate because he had, he had just, you know, mastered the incredible passion of Christ. Greatest movie of our time in Christianity, in my opinion. And people started separating him, themselves like crazy. And I thought, that's just like the body of Christ. Let me stand with you on your high day, but on your low day, I'm going to run like a sailor. Come on, somebody. I'm going to run like a scalded dog, like my granddaddy Davis used to say. You know, that's, Cor that's Corfin. But those that God hangs with, God is faithful to hang with you when you have reflected glory. But, Angel, he's also willing to hang with you when you have reflected failure. He does not separate himself from you on your worst day. He's a faithful God. His name is called Faithful. Everyone say Faithful. And true. I love that so much. He's faithful. So in the book of Jeremiah, you don't have to turn there, but I'm going to use it in context for these last few minutes. And last few minutes speaks like 20 more, so hang with me. But in Jeremiah, Jeremiah is called in a time of great onslaught, just like you and I. A time when many are the enemies. You know, it's funny, if you go to Israel, um, Peggy, if you go to Israel and you have a really good guide, he'll take you up to one of the mountains and you'll stand up there and they're just so caught up in their history and all of a sudden, we had Gideon several times, was Perry's personal um, guide at that time. And uh, he would say, and to the left, there is the enemy of Syria. And I've got the geographic geography wrong, I'm sure. And to the right is the enemies of Iran. And to the deepest the enemies of Iraq. And someone in the crowd invariably will say, my God, they're sure fascinated by their enemies. No, they've lived shell-shocked since the time they became a nation. They've lived with their children going into bomb shelters in different times. They live with military police hanging on the streets because the enemies have always existed from the first mention of Israel until Jesus comes back. I'm going to tell you, there will always be an enemy against you and against your faithful God. And the moment we recognize, the better we are for it. Amen? And in the book of Jeremiah, there's enemies. Jeremiah, the prophet was called and so many of you know that verse um gail before you in your mother's womb what i knew you i knew you i called you by name i knew you Devin, before you ever came to be now that's a whole message there's so much thoughts on that we'll just leave that right there i knew you alden before you were conceived he said that to jeremiah but it was not a promise that jeremiah would not walk through some stuff everyone say stuff and there he was speaking to a people that didn't want to listen. There he was trying to be faithful in a people that were very unfaithful. Probably like a lot of you are in your workplace, working among. Come on, people. Working upon the, the creepers and the crawlers while you're trying to be a climber and a dreamer. Come on, somebody. Working among people who want to get off early and come in late. Working around people that aren't really faithful, but God's called you to be faithful. I want you to say that. God has called me to be faithful. Everyone say it again. God has called me to be faithful. 
there is Jeremiah and holding on to the words that God gave me because every promise, the, the book of uh, Peter says that every, all the promises of God are great. Everyone say great and exceedingly great and precious and true and tried, meaning these promises have been tried and true. And Jeremiah is holding on to that promise that God said, I will be with you. Don't be afraid of their faces. I will speak through you. Jeremiah said, I'm too young. God said, I'll give you the words. Jeremiah gave him 15 reasons why he shouldn't call him. And God comes back with just maybe a few reasons of, I am with you. I've called you. I'm faithful. When no one around you is faithful, I will be faithful in you, and you will change a nation. Someone say amen. And there's an interesting verse in Jeremiah 36 and 32, if you're taking notes. Because I, I don't know that I've ever heard anyone preach on this. And I'll just really be honest with you. I found it in my private devotion sitting out on my swing one morning. But it's so interesting to me because Jeremiah wrote what God gave him. He worked hard on it and put it in a scroll. He then dictated again to his scribe named Baruch. He wrote everything on that. Then they took the scroll to the king whose name I will slaughter, Jehokan. And Jehokan is sitting. I want you to get this picture. And let me make it plain for you. You've worked so hard on something. You've given everything to it. You've put your life into it. Come on. You've put your blood into it. You put your energy into it, whether it's a relationship, a job, a ministry, a former, re whatever, whatever that is, you've put everything into it. You've put all your time, all your energy, all your resources, and you did it because you felt God called you to do it. Regardless of anyone else's faithfulness, God called you to be faithful. Someone say amen. And this is the scene. I want you to get it. The king is sitting in front of a fire because it's, it's a winter palace. He's sitting in front of the fire with all of his elders around him. He's the king of Israel, all of his elders, but he was an evil king, all of his elders and all of his sons. Baruch comes in and brings the scroll to, to uh, the king that Jeremiah has written from God. These are the words of God. In fact, so much were the words inspired by God that Daniel later will find them and Daniel will get the faith to believe that Israel will be free from Babylonian captivity. It's so powerful. And here he does it. It says... All of the sudden, the king, as the scroll is being read, takes out a knife. He doesn't get one of his associates, and he begins to cut off little pieces of the scroll while they're reading it. He keeps cutting it off and cutting it off. This project, this thing that Jeremiah has worked so hard just being faithful, showing up when no one else would show up, taking care of those babies when no one was there to give you help, working on that that job so hard and you don't get the promotion in fact you get let go somebody with me tracking with me say amen believing for that open door and all of the sudden he tore off every piece and he burned it in the fire here goes work now can you imagine someone cutting off what you've given and burning it up in front of you I'm sure you've never seen it with your eyes but you felt it can I get an amen you felt it you've worked so hard on something only maybe it was your health and then you, you fell uh, to some sickness. Maybe it was your finances, and then you got hit with a washing machine, the stove. Come on, somebody. If one appliance is going to go out, they all, they're all a tag team, aren't they? If one car gets in trouble, the other car just thinks it's, it's caught the disease, and it's got to get it too. Someone say amen. And all of a sudden, he begins to cut this off and throw it in the fire. And Baruch has to go back to Jeremiah. And you can imagine, Jeremiah, what did the king say? Jeremiah, I don't know how to tell you this. Tell me. And he says, he cut it piece by piece. It would have been more merciful, angel, if he had just thrown the scroll in the fire. 
I mean, if you're going to beat me, consume me. Don't do it piece by piece. Come on. Don't take my faith piece by piece. Don't take my emotions piece by piece. Don't betray me piece by piece. Just take it all. But no, he said piece by piece. He consumed it in the fire. What we don't hear, what we don't know, Pastor Todd, is what, how, how, what happened in that moment, what Jeremiah said. All we know in Jeremiah 36 and 32, and this is a word to the faithful. Listen to this. I'm telling you this has blessed my soul. Then Jeremiah wrote another scroll. Everyone say another scroll. He dictated again to his Barak scribe. He wrote everything that had been on that scroll, meaning that when God gives you something, God doesn't forget what he gave you. When God implants an idea in you, God does not forget. When God invests his hope in you, God does not forget. He will give it back to you. And then it said he, he rewrote everything that had been it. And then this is a statement that just blows me away, where the comma is and the exclamation point. Only this time, comma, he added much more. Exclamation point. Whoa, don't you just love that? Come on, somebody. It means when things are stolen from us, when things are taken from us, when things look murky in our life, when God comes back and says, don't worry, I remember every promise I gave you. I'm the faithful and the true one. And this time when you put your hand to it, this time when you rebuild, this time when you reinvest, this time when you give your gift, this time when you raise a child, this time when I restore your children to you, I, the Lord, will add much more just as God did for Job in the book of Job. Somebody give the Lord praise. I'm just telling you I love it. I would have entitled this sermon that if I could have. And I know it blesses you like it does on me. When the promise of God tarries, wait for it to be fulfilled. Because there's coming to a day when he'll fulfill the promise. And when he does, there'll be no further tarrying or hesitation or prolonging, says the Lord, of the waiting season. Everything will change swiftly, peripety. And the dramatic nature of the miracle will be attributed to God and God alone. Someone say amen. To Baruch, when he was distressed, let me tell you what God told him. And I'm going to get into a story. Let me tell you what God told him in Jeremiah 45 and 5. He said, Baruch, are you seeking great things for yourself? Because he was just distressed. Who wouldn't be? This is the scribe, but he's distressed. He says, don't do it. Someone say, don't do it. Everyone say, don't do it. And you're like, does God not want us to seek great things for self? No, he doesn't want you to seek great things for your name. He wants you to seek great things for his name. Because he knows when you're on the timeline of his glory and his providence, he will get the glory and everyone will say our famous God did it again. He said, but don't be discouraged, Barak, because I'm going to destroy your enemy, but I will be with you wherever you go because I, the Lord, have spoken. That's why God wants you to work hard to make him famous. Because in the pathway of making him famous, because he restored your finances, because he's blessed you with an idea, he will say to you in Isaiah 43, 1, he knows you by name. Do not be afraid, for I've redeemed you. He says to you in Psalms 139 and 17, how precious are my thoughts about you. He says in Exodus 14 and 4, I will fight for you. I will fight for you. You only need to hold your peace. He says in Psalm 62 and 6, he is your refuge. He alone is your rock, your salvation, your fortress. Last night, Michelle Mitchell, our photographer, who's like a daughter to me, got caught and She's on Facebook, but she's texting me at lightning speed while she's posting on Facebook. 
I mean, she'll stop. You got to pray. You got to pray now. You got to pray. You got to pray now. I love when people really believe that you pray. And I'm like, Lord, I pray. I pray as much as they think I pray. But at any rate, she says, you got to pray. You got to pray. I'm scared. I'm scared. And so I'm saying, are you seeing what they're saying to you on Facebook? You see, but I, I began to speak to her because she endured some incredible childhood trauma. She tells about in her testimony, but I'm not telling that today. But I've said to her, there's been many times when God sovereignly comes in because she was not protected as a child as she should have been, that there's a special protection on her. I'm going to tell you, that's a word for someone this morning. There's some people in your life that did not do right by you. There's some people in your life that did not protect you. There's some people in your life that did not pay you back what they owed you. But I'm going to tell you something. The Lord God puts it upon himself to make up what humans have taken. Somebody give him a praise this morning. Come on. And those are the promises of the Lord. And Jeremiah gets thrown into a pit. You know that story. I've preached on it. The conspirators come against him, and they put him in a pit for him to die. They put him so deep. They convince the king he's so deep he's drowning. That pit I could preach hours on. I'm not going to. But it's found in Jeremiah 38. Down in that pit, God reaches for him. I wonder in that pit if he remembered the faithful and the true one that said, Jeremiah, I'm going to be with you wherever you go. Jeremiah, I knew you before you were in your mother's room. I'm telling you, church, the degree I have to speak back to myself even at 56 is unbelievable because I still, I still battle. Anybody with me, tracking with me? I still da battle doubts and fears and insecurities. I still battle things that I'm not enough, never will be enough, that now that I'm 56, I may have forgotten how to do things. Just fears that don't stop. I mean, you have them when you're young, and then you have them with your old. And the older I get and the gray hairs that come up, I quote over myself, and I, the Lord, says, I will be with you even until all your head is gray. Come on, somebody. Because those are promises. And there he is sinking into that pit. There he is dying. And someone goes to bat for him. Before he does, I want to tell you a story. If we, um, if Chris, if, if you could come play, or do we need an instrumental? I'll let you work that out because I don't know which guitar you have. So I'll let you make that decision. Thank you. I'm going to tell you about a young man. He's 10 years old when this story happens. It's a true man. This true story. This is a man who is a million-dollar bestseller writer, a man who is a defender of the Jew, a man who I've read several of his books, and I didn't know this story till about three weeks ago, and I've just been sitting on this. But his dad married a Jew, and his dad was a Christian. His mom was Jew. His mom's grandparents had died in Auschwitz. The other set of grandparents had died in a synagogue, burnt to death. He didn't believe in God, and he didn't believe in Jesus because his daddy believed in Jesus, and his daddy beat the Gehenna out of him all the time. In fact, his daddy was convinced he was not his son. In fact, his daddy said, and excuse me, I'm quoting exactly the way he tells it, beat him with extension rods, his boots, his fists, hangers, locked him in a cellar, he ran away when he was four, but it just got worse. His daddy drank every Friday night, and those demons from alcohol came prevalent and more violent. Little Mike couldn't say his name. He had a speech impediment. He had no self-esteem. He couldn't look a person in the eye. He always kept his head down. He had a stomach ulcer. He had thousands of fears of everything. His dad would put his mom in a chair and would scream at her and call her a Jewish whore and say, that boy up there is not my son. He was never convinced he was son, though he was his son. He was violent, slapping her in the face so much that she consistently had to wear sunglasses. It's 10 till. Will you give me 15 more minutes? Thank you. Two of you will. The rest you can go. Um, but Mike didn't believe in Jesus. He didn't believe in God. One Friday night when he was about 10, he had just had enough Alden. He was so afraid, so afraid. In fact, one day a teacher said, what do you want to be when you grow up? 
so sad to my heart. Said, well, there's only a doctor on the event, little Mike said. The teacher said, what is it, Mike? He said, I want to be twins. And everyone just stared at him, but he knew what he was saying, Devin. I just want to make it to the church. Is that okay? Because Daddy is feeling it. I just want to be twins. One night at the upstairs banister, he watches his dad, unmerciful, beat his mom. And he just mustered every courage he had, and he just screamed, stop it, stop it. All of a sudden, his dad moved at him at lightning speed and picked him up around the throat way above his head and began to choke him. It knocked him completely unconscious. He woke up later in a fetal position on the floor in a dark room in his bedroom where they had he'd put his body covered in his own vomit. He'd been so unconscious and choked so much he had thrown up all over himself. He just laid there and he, his first prayer was, God, why, why was I born? My mom is abused because of me. I've never been told that they love me. I've never been affirmed. In fact, even when he told his mom that he loved her, she'd say, me too. My dad hates me violently. Curled up in that fetal position, all of a sudden, the room began to light up bright. His first thought was, this is dad. He's got a spotlight. And began to protect his head because he thought he's back. But all of a sudden, he thought, there's no noise in this room. There's no screaming. I don't hear anything. He peeked through two fingers as a 10-year-old boy would do. Shoot, as a 56-year-old girl would do. Looking to see what it was. And all of a sudden... He saw eyes coming toward him. They were color of the rainbow. First time he'd ever seen a man's eyes smile. And the eyes were of Jesus and he knew it. And he said, son, son, I love you. He never heard that. And then Jesus went on to say, I have a great command for you, Mike. And then Jesus just laughed and laughed. Give him joy. The rest of the night, that little boy just couldn't be heard. He just cried for joy all night long. In the morning, the speech impediment was removed. In the morning, the stomach ulcer was gone. In the morning, the fear was gone. He didn't know about the theology, but all he knowed, it knowed, knew was that he was saved, delivered, and healed, and filled with the Spirit of God and one amazing supernatural promise that God gave him. I know the plans I have for you. Can someone give God praise right now? His life was so turned around and 20 years later, God said to him, because promises are coming, his name is Mike Evans. You can look him up in all the books he's written. 20 years later, God said, go to Jerusalem, Mike. Go to Menachem Begin, Prime Minister's office. So he faxed him. This was many years ago when that's the way he connected with people. He faxed him, and he said he'd meet with him. He went in, and the prime minister said, why are you meeting with me? He said, um, I don't know. They talked some more time and more. They exchanged, and the prime minister says, why are you here to meet with me? I don't know. God just told me to come. And the third time he goes, I'm going to ask you one more time. Why are you here to meet with me? And don't say that you don't know. And he says, just like that, he goes, okay. He said to his secretary, he's the first honest man I've ever met. He looks at me and says, when you know why God sent you, come back and see me. The next morning, he sees on the front of the paper that, oh, no, not to honey. These names are all wrong. Look them up and you'll get the right pronunciation. That his son had died. He went to the house. He knocked on the door. And um, the old man opened the door of the family and said, come in, come in, have tea. He stood in that room and all of a sudden, there was a young 28-year-old man named Benjamin Netanyahu. 
and Mike Evans says in, 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 in their language to them, this young man is going to be the next prime minister of Israel. And he's going to be prime minister twice. And the second time is going to be crucial. It's going to be crucial for the country of Israel. Benjamin Netanyahu looked at his dad and said, you have left a moron in this house. And his dad said, he's not an ordinary moron. He's the authentic moron. <laughs> Come on, somebody. But he was being faithful. Well, in case you have not followed the story, Benjamin Netanyahu is prime minister in Israel today and is being used by God in a mighty way. You see, this young boy could not even defend one Jew, but Jesus was faithful to step in, and then he became a defender of many Jews. There is a peripety that God says to the faithful and true one. This peripety in Mike's story was when he was choked by the neck and left unconscious. He said it was the best moment. It was the worst moment, but the best moment. Don't count out the worst moments of your life that there's a hinge on a door, a peripety that God will open a door that no man can shut and God will shut a door that no man can open. Come on, somebody give him praise. Give me about six more minutes. Jeremiah's in that pit. It seemed like the worst thing. But one of the most beautiful scenes in the Bible that I've preached on many times, and you know it, a servant, an Ethiopian servant named Ebed-Melech, a faithful man who loved and trusted God more than he loved anyone. We know that because of what God says to him. He went to the king and said, evil conspirators have lied on Jeremiah. They falsely accused him. They said he did things that he did not do. And now they've gone and put him in the pit and he's dying. It wasn't just a pit, it was a cistern. He was sinking. In fact, you can read in Lamentations when Jeremiah is crying out to God. In fact, many believe that's when he wrote the words, This do I call to hope, and I remember. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord. Every morning new mercies come. Come on, somebody. And Ebed-Melech said he's sinking deep into the mud and the mire. He's going to die within minutes. King, they've accused him. You see, he didn't go with the burger corp. He went with, I'm going to stand with who God has called, whether that's my brother, my sister, my child, my nation, my church, well, whatever that looks like, your boss, whatever. I'm going to stand and I am going to do the right thing. If no one else in the room is doing the right thing, I am going to be the faithful one. Give yourself a hand because you're the faithful. God said this word was coming to the faithful. If you're here, you're one of the faithful. Come on, give yourself a bigger hand. You're faithful. One of the most beautiful parts that we see the very character of God, the king sends Ebed-Melech with 30 men. Why 30? It's going to take a few to lift him up, but it's going to take a few to fight off those surrounding, wanting them not to do it. You always got to have a team. Ebed-Melech looks down in there and sees Jeremiah's face. And I don't want to preach too long right here to get to this ending point. But he looks down and he sees his face and he lowers the rope. It's such a beautiful scene right here of compassion. Such a beautiful scene of God in us in the pit. Psalms 40 said, I was singing to the Lord as long as I live. He heard my voice. He took me up out of a miry pit and he put my feet on a rock and many shall see and they shall fear and they shall trust in the name of the Lord. Let me tell you something. Every pit and mud and mire, whether it's financial, health-wise, emotional, people you love being put into pit, pits of, dis of discouragement, pits of hopelessness, pits of just wanting things for your kids, pits of wanting that thing to come 
come together, whatever it is. I'm going to tell you, when God gets you out of that situation and a peripety occurs, I'm not talking about just accidents like me. Yes, and big things other of us gone through. I'm talking about issues in the workplace this week when people and situations will try to force you at school into a pit. God will lift you up as the faithful one and people will see. They might not tell you, but they will know there's somebody dealing in your life that's bigger than you are. Come on, somebody. Give God a hand clap of praise. And he says to him, here's the rope. But what Ebed-Melech did, his, they don't know if his title is a name or a title, but he's called the servant of the king. He's one of the biggest heroes of the word to me because he didn't consider anything too big or small. And he lowers the rope down and he says, I've tied rags to this rope. I think about Pastor Hank being one of those that tags that ties rags to the rope. He's so courageous. In fact, while he watched Passion of the Christ, I'm just going to say this. I just started crying because I just told the Lord I don't think I would have been like John. I fear I'd have been like Peter. I fear I'd have been run like a chicken. And I'm sitting there, I said, but Hank, my husband, he would have gone with you, Jesus. And just so sweetly, the Holy Spirit just been, yes, he would have. He's courageous. I want more of that courage, don't you? I want more of the courage that follows my Christ to the cross and follows him literally to the cross when he's trying to redeem someone. I love that Ebeg Melek looked down in there and he said, put these rags underneath your arms so the rope don't hurt you. I'm telling you, I want to say to the faithful one, when you are an Ebed Melek and you tie comfort, when you're trying to help someone get out of addiction, get out of depression, get out of hopelessness, it may be through a Facebook post. It may be through a word of encouragement. That's what I use Facebook but to just try to put some rags on some ropes and pull some people out. You may feel like you're doing nothing, but I want to tell you something. God said to Ebed-Melech in the end of Jeremiah, when destruction reigns upon this city, Ebed-Melech, have no fear because you are not going to be touched. I'm going to deliver you in the midst of destruction because you did not deny me and you trusted in my name. I'm going to tell you, don't look for the people you help to say thank you. Don't look to the people you sacrifice to say God bless you. If they do, consider it a bonus. Exist on little encouragement, but exist on a lot of faithfulness in God and he who is faithful and true who can reward you because man can never reward you properly but when hell is unleashed on earth God will sustain you somebody that's faithful give God a shout of praise let me say this as I get ready to pray with you maybe you were given this mountain to show people like maybe Ebed Melik was given that mountain as a servant to go before a king and say I've prophets, they falsely accused him. I think even Melek could have ran for his life. They could have murdered him right there. But he was courageous. And then he went and he acted on it. Maybe he was given that mountain to show how people, maybe Mike Evans was given that mountain to show how it can move. I want to say this to you. Maybe you were given a mountain to show how it can be moved. My beautiful niece by marriage, Allie Paige Taylor, had cancer. Very quickly get through this moment so I get blessed one. And uh, they told her she would never be able to have children. She had a rat, uh, just a lot done. A lot of radiation, chemo, a lot of things removed. And they said, you'll never be able to have children again. So they went to I IVF, went through long process. It was such a faith walk. People donated thousands of dollars. And the egg, they never would, it never would come together. It never would happen. 
then they went on the path of adoption and and, and then they went through lawyers and an addict saw their pictures and saw their name in a lawyer's office and said we want this couple they went through the whole process most of you've heard this part of the story and spent thousands of dollars being faithful because they believed God called them to do it to adopt a baby and it got to the last moment, and the mama, as even though it was very well put together, very well founded, worked with lawyers. I mean, just they went to every. This this mama loved them with all of her heart. She really did. When it came to the last minute, there were some people that tried to influence her, and it looked as though Josh and Allie would walk away from the hospital without baby Genevieve. That they'd had showers. They've been all over the internet. Even people that love them said, "I don't know if you should put all that out there." I mean, isn't it true? Aren't you that way sometime? I am too. Don't even speak that you're expecting that, because if you do, oh my God, you know, it's like the farmers used to say, "Failed harvest," because they believed if they said good harvest, their crops would fail. Because we get to such a point that we believe, if we believe and expect something, it's not going to happen. But we serve a God that continually says, without faith, it's impossible to please Him. Without expectation, it's impossible to receive. So they put it all out there for the world to watch while they walk through the fire. But God kept saying, I've not forgotten you. I've not forgotten to be faithful. But in that moment that their hearts are breaking, the nurses are pushing for them. Everyone in the hospital wants them to have. They're just delightful kids. And it looks like they're going to leave. And my nephew says, before we leave, I mean, their heart's broken. There's pictures of them sobbing. But they said, okay, we understand, we understand. Before we leave, Josh said, we just want to kneel down and pray for the family. And my nephew kneels down, who's just a character. He's like a comedian. Josh is hilarious. But God really grew him up. It was a peripety in his life. It made him a great man of God. And he knelt down, and he began to bless this mama. And he blessed baby Genevieve. And just sobbing, he said, Lord, we thought we would leave with her, but we give you glory and honor and thanks for letting us participate in this birth of Genevieve. And we pray blessings upon her. And her mom and every family. And he just spoke. And as we say our final goodbye, we bless them. He just, he said a spirit moved on him just to speak that blessing before they left. They couldn't. And when they got up and everyone's wiping their tears, the mother sitting in a chair said, shaking while you prayed, God said, what are you doing? That's their baby. Give them baby Genevieve. They will raise her right and she will be a great woman of God. And they walked out of that hospital with her. Come on. Come on. They walked out. She's about two now, I think, Angel. She's about two or three, I don't know. And then, surprisingly, against all doctors, Allie Taylor shows up pregnant by natural birth and gives birth to a beautiful baby named Vera Elise, who's just gorgeous, another miracle, another beauty. But while she's pregnant with her, that birth mama contacts them again. Everybody else says, even my sweet, saintly daddy, I just don't. You know, you get older, you know how bad things can go. You got faith, but you like, you don't want everybody to think about how bad my dad said, I just don't know, Rhonda. I don't know if they need to be going down that road again. I just don't know. I said, well, daddy, I don't know either, but this is their faith, and this is what they're doing. And they begin to travel down the next road with another baby. I can't tell you this part. But a national show began to film them, which I cannot tell you what it is. It's going to be released. It's the first time I've spoken of it publicly outside of my immediate family. Began to film all this. They came in to film it all because her story had gone all over the world. And they're filming it. And they named this baby Lydia Joyce after my mama because she's a great woman of God. 
And then it starts happening again. And then the mother says she's going to keep the baby. And she has a, the, the baby daddy's with her this time. There's five different children. Anyway, it goes on and on, and they're not, they're not going to get this baby again. And this network has been in filming this whole thing. They would watch the family pray, cry, and ask God's will to be done. In the midst of this moment, I'm going to say this to you, and it's worth it. And, and we're going to go. I believe this is worth it for you to hang with me a couple more minutes. In the midst of this Facebook trollers start trolling them like crazy. Godly people, quote, unquote, saying, how dare you be praying that you'll get this child? That mother deserves this child. Well, I knew something was going on because my sister is texting me, pray, Rhonda, pray. Evil is speaking against them, pray. Well, I thought, don't you get out of my way. I'll slap every one of you trolling to Gehenna. You want to deal with me? I may not stand up for myself, but you touch my nephew and niece, I'm going to slap the stupid out of you. Come on, somebody. I beg my nephew, let me troll him. Let me troll him. I'll troll him like Jesus did against his enemies. I'll troll him like God said to Sennacherib. I'll whip him all the way back to their post. Let me troll him. And Josh says, no, auntie, just pray. Just stay on your face. And they begin to troll him. How dare you try to take this child away? How dare you pray for the will of God? What they didn't know is this mother approached them. This mother asked them. They were praying for the will of God. Again, they're sitting in the house. They sneak off. They get a secret text. Come to the hospital. It's over. It's done. Not going to get the baby. But that morning, they show back up at the house with all their parents. They have not said a word in Kentucky. Holding baby Lydia Joyce. Again, a peripety. When God turned the hinges because God stepped in, the enemy stepped off. Someone godly stepped up. And someone going through something stepped right on through to victory. Somebody stand and give God praise. Before I give you one more scripture, come on. Everybody just stand up and give God praise. He's a faithful God. Listen to me. This is the verse I want to end with. Isaiah 22 and 22. He says, I have the keys. I will give you the keys to open doors. And what I open, no man can shut. And what I shut, no man can open. This is about Jesus. In Revelation, he says, I hold the keys. What I open, no man can shut. What I shut, he's faithful and true. I'm going to tell you this. That means to fasten. When it says, he says in the same verse, I'm going to have time to read it. He says, I give you the keys to open doors, and I have the keys to shut the doors. He says, I will fasten him, speaking of Christ, into a firm place. He will be a tent peg in the house of Elikim and hang his glory. What does that mean? That's a seminary thing. We'll deal with that another time. This is the bottom line. Jesus came from that lineage. What he was saying is, I'm fixing to fasten something in the wall that everyone's going to hang on. And the beautiful translation says, and even the little ones, the lesser ones, will be basking in his glory. You see, I don't need to bask in anybody's glory. Because when he says he's going to make him a firm place, that's something that had to be built in the wall. That's not a tent stake. I want you to get the picture. When they built a house and it was large to strengthen the walls, they put the tent peg in the wall, meaning it was built in the wall. It was a house peg. It was a firm place. This is the one that the Bible says he was the stone 
stone that builders rejected. But Jesus now has become the cornerstone upon which we build our faith. I'm going to tell you this morning, he's faithful and true. He's going to bring your faith to a flourishing finish. He's going to allow someone to step up for you so you can step through. He's going to step into situations because he's faithful and true. Now, for whatever you need from the Lord, I just want you to lift up your hands. Whatever it is with your eyes closed. I don't know what it is. I don't know what you